Father, your son is our cornerstone. He is the one who was rejected by the leaders, as we'll see, but he has become the corner, the most important, the foundation of everything we are. And so we're here to worship him this morning as king, uh, as, as the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, as one who is resurrected, proclaiming himself to be God. Uh, and so we, this morning, come in celebration of what you are doing in our midst, but Lord, also what you did presenting yourself to be King, Messiah, Lord. And though you were rejected, you were still exalted as we will celebrate next Sunday in your resurrection. Um, But as we kind of prepare for that, as we get ready, as we look at this text briefly, and then as we keep worshiping and celebrating, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just have free course to run, that your people would truly celebrate, that we wouldn't just say it, but that we would truly celebrate what you have done. This is a great week for us as believers It's a great reminder. It is a memorial of what you have done, but ultimately what you're going to do. And so just as as we just kind of look at this text briefly this morning, please fill me, uh, please empower me to encourage, just to bring to light what is is in the text in such a way that your church is equipped so that your people worship and ultimately so that Jesus is exalted. We pray for the opportunities that are ahead of us this week to serve you well, to love people well, uh, to speak of you, to point people towards a, a crucified and a risen Savior. Uh, people are going to be talking about it just because of the nature of, of what this week is. And so please open doors for us this week. Uh, for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. All right. We are going to take a break from our series on Abraham just for a few weeks. After Easter, we'll pick up where William left off last week. Uh, so you guys can practice a little bit what, what Abraham has to experience with waiting, so you can wait until after Easter, um, and we'll find out what happens. But just let me say, I'm glad, I'm thankful that we have so many guys on staff that God has brought that were able to just fill the pulpit. Gifted guys like William and David, who when I'm not here or I am here, just give me a break, doing a great job. William did a great job last week. I am also thankful that I am much better looking than he is, (laughs) so that you don't have to look at his face every week. That's the short joke from last week. I got more in here, so just so you know. I still will win that battle. I am up here more. Um, you'll get your chance in June sometime. Um, but today is a, is a great day for us as a church. It's a celebration. Uh, if you've never been here for baptism for us, we like to celebrate. We like to make it a little bit louder. Um, hopefully you noticed that. If you didn't, you're deaf. Um, but, but we like to have opportunities throughout the year to celebrate. Our God is a God who likes us to celebrate him and what he is doing. And I know sometimes you hear people say, we're going to celebrate, and it feels like it's a dirge. We don't do the dirge celebration here. We'll do the dirge on Friday, on Good Friday. But we celebrate in a way that, that we want to exalt Christ for being great, for being big, for being good. And so that's what we're going to do today. Let's prepare our hearts a little bit for, for the Good Friday and for Resurrection Sunday, because this is our time to celebrate what it is Christ has done. So we're just going to walk through the Palm Sunday narrative briefly. And there's really two big ideas that this narrative really, and, and all four of the Gospels, it shows up, but there's really two big ideas that the authors want you to see. And, and I just want to just, in preparing our hearts, ask ourselves two questions from the narrative this morning. Not questions that you answer yes, no, A, B, C, D real quick and you move on, but questions that you throughout this week just kind of come to and think about as you prepare for Good Friday 
and for Resurrection Sunday, okay? And so we're gonna be in Luke chapter 19. It shows up the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, and all four of the gospels. We're gonna look at Luke's gospel. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the seat. I think it's page 878 in that Bible. We'll have it on the slides as well. But let me just kind of work through uh, a very familiar passage to many of us. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll and just kind of unpack what's going on and what, what Jesus is trying to teach about himself. All right, verse 28 of chapter 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. In fact, Luke organizes his material in his gospel so that Jerusalem is kind of the pinnacle of everything because that is why he comes to earth, ultimately to go to Jerusalem to be nailed to a Roman cross. That was the plan all along, predetermined before the foundation of the world. Jesus, before he's crucified, he's, he's talking to his disciples and he said, should I, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? It's for this purpose that I have come to this hour. That was the plan all along, to go to Jerusalem, to be crucified, to be resurrected. And so he's headed to Jerusalem, and he's about a mile and a half outside, right, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany. These are about a mile and a half, two miles outside at the mount, which is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. All right, so he, he sends two of his disciples on a mission. This is one of the missions, if I was one of the disciples, I would have gotten, right? Because he would have looked at me and said, you've had a shady past. I want you to go commandeer something for me. You have experience in this fowler, all right? It doesn't send one of the big three, James, Peter, and John, because he doesn't, men- usually he mentions when they're involved. So this is probably Thaddeus and Bartholomew, two guys no one knows, right? But he says, I got a mission for you guys. I want you to go in town. As soon as you go in town, there's going to be a donkey. It's going to be tied up. It's a, it's a donkey that's never been ridden on before. It's a colt. I want you to untie it. I want you to bring it to me. And if someone asks you about it, don't just bolt, right? Don't just run. You just tell them, the Lord has need of it. If anyone asks you, just say, the Lord has need of it. And we'll come back to that. And so it happens just like, they, like, like Jesus says. So those who were sent away, they found it just that he said and told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And I just, I know we kind of breeze through, think about how amazing that is. I mean, Jesus is on the mission. He is headed to Jerusalem and you can just see how he is in absolute control of everything. He knows everything. He knows everything about that donkey. He knows where it's going to be. He knows it's going to be tied up. He knows it's history. It's never been ridden on before. He knows how to procure it. He knows it all. How? Because he is the Lord who has need of it. He's the Lord. The text, it, 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 it's going out of its way to show you he is the Lord. And he, imagine if you're Thaddeus and Bartholomew or Philip, whoever one of these guys are, and just, it's just another proof to these guys. They've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, seen amazing things, and, they, and it happens just like he said. They're like, how does he do it? Who is this man? Who is this we've been with? It's just a, it would blow their minds. It, just exactly as he says. And so they bring the donkey, the colt to Jesus. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. They kind of make shift saddle with their jackets. They put it on there. And, and just, by the way, this is a kind of a hidden miracle. I mean, Jesus is now riding on a donkey that has never been ridden on before. Okay, have you ever seen a horse 
or an animal that's never been ridden on before try to get ridden on. It, it kicks and it bucks and it does not like it. But Jesus, who is the Lord and who one who created the donkey, is able to sit on the donkey and ride it. And so they come into the city, verse 36, and he rode along and they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. The city is thrown into chaos. If you just read all the four uh, gospels and see this event and all the little details added, the city is thrown in a tizzy. Here's why. There are thousands of people going to Jerusalem. It is a it is a packed mess. It is crazy on the highways. It is like 95 going from Georgia to South Carolina where you go from the beauty of four lanes down to some knucklehead engineer two lanes and it's just like, what in the world, South Carolina? Wake up, right? You been there? Well, it's, it's that going into Jerusalem because it is a high feast, Passover. And so the men were required to go. So it is just chaos headed into the city. And so you can just imagine all these pilgrims are headed and they're singing the ascent psalms, which they would do, they'd sing some of these psalms that were designed for when they'd go up to Jerusalem and there's a joyous atmosphere and the city of Jerusalem is packed. It's like Savannah on St. Patrick's Day, just everyone is there. That's, that's, the, that's the environment of Jerusalem. And, and behind them, as they're walking up, they hear a stir and screaming and cheering and they turn around, they're like, what's, what's going on? It's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. I've been, I've been hearing about him. He's coming. And, and the backdrop that you find out from the gospel of John is Jesus has just done one of his greatest miracles. He rose a man from the dead. He was dead for four days. Lazarus, John chapter 11. And that is the backdrop of what's going on. So there is a stir in Jerusalem and Galilee because this guy was dead and in the grave and then he came out and everyone has seen this guy and it is undeniable. Even the Pharisees are like, what are we gonna do? It's an undeniable miracle. And so there's all this buzz going around. And on top of that, now Jesus is riding on a donkey and every good Jew would know that the prophecy that you guys saw earlier from Zechariah is that the daughter of Zion should rejoice. Why? Because their king is coming righteous and humble and he's riding on a donkey. He's, it, it, this whole event is prophesied hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Zechariah who says, your Messiah, Jerusalem, will show up. He is going to ride on a, a donkey that's never been ridden before. And so there's all this hype because this guy is acting very messianic. There's miracles, there's a donkey, everyone is shouting and praising. They're saying, Hosanna. They're quoting Psalm 18. Right, we saw, they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're throwing their, their Patagonia jackets down on the ground. You don't just do that because it's like, they're, they're doing that because that's what you do for a king. This is what they did in the Old Testament when the king would ride by, they would put their jacket down. And so they're, they're treating him like a king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, and, and Matthew says that the city, he uses a word in the Greek, it's translated stirred in our Bible, but it's a, it's a word used for earthquakes, that the city was just a mess. It was chaos. And look what they're saying. They're saying peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Where have we heard that before in Luke? Luke chapter two, when the angel says glory in the highest and peace, well, here's the fulfillment. And it is just you think we were loud on that second song? 
Jerusalem is busting, right? Because they think maybe this is Messiah. They're saying Hosanna, which means save now. They're thinking, is this the time? Is this it? Is this the kingdom? But not everyone is happy, right? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke, tell them to hush. They are, they are attributing godness to you. They are in essence worshiping you. This is blasphemy. Tell them to be quiet, Jesus. And this, this is one of my favorite portions of this, of this text. He says, I mean, who speaks like this? Listen to this. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I mean, who talks like that? Either he has completely lost it, he is completely arrogant, or he is the creator of the stones and the donkey. Because what he's saying is, my creation is aware of who I am, even if you are not. That, that these dead stones recognize life when they see it, and you live people don't. That's the irony. Why? Because he is the Lord. He's the Lord. And then something interesting happens. When he drew near this and saw the city, he wept over it. I mean, think about this. The whole place is going nuts. They're screaming, they're yelling, they're quoting Psalm 118, Hosanna. People are cheering, people are excited. And Jesus is weeping. And it's a word that is, that's used of strong wailing. He's wailing. I wonder if they even noticed They're so caught up in the hype and the disciples are thinking, man, this is great. We've never seen a welcome like this. And everyone's yelling and they don't even notice that Jesus is mourning and he is weeping. And he says this, would that you have known, would would that you, even you had known this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This is Jerusalem, Israel. This is the day you have been waiting for for 4,000 years. This is... This is the promise of Genesis 3, that the, the, the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. This is that promise to Abraham that in you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. This is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. This is the son and the root of Jesse. Here I am. And they miss it. They miss it. And because they do, he says this. He says, the days are going to come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time. He says, because you did not know, there's gonna be judgment. And he prophesies something and we don't have time to go into it. But 40 years later, that would happen in 70 AD when Rome would come in and burn the city and, and take every stone on top of each other because the gold would be melted down from the temple into the stones. And so they literally would take the stones off each other to get the gold out. They destroy it, right? They destroy it because they didn't know. And, and here's kind of first big point of, of really of the narrative, what's going on here. And, and all four of the gospel accounts of this, they have you know, subtle little differences in the details. I mean, they add some things and don't mention some other things that the others do, all right? But, but the big picture on every single one of them is this that there is a lot of people and there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of cheering and no one really knows what's going on. Everyone misses it for different reasons maybe, but everyone misses it. The religious leaders, they don't want Jesus. They don't want a savior because what they want is power and control and the status quo. 
So they miss it. The people, they don't want a suffering Messiah. They want a conquering Messiah. They don't want a humble riding on a donkey. They want someone riding on a white horse who's going to kick Rome out. That's what they want. They don't want forgiveness of sins. They want Rome gone. All right, here's the people that have been captive for 700 years. They want freedom. And the disciples, I don't know what their deal is, to be honest. Jesus told them how many times this is what's going to happen. And they still don't even get it afterwards. The Gospel of John actually says they didn't, they didn't know what was going on until after. I mean, even Acts 1, they still don't know what's going on. Remember, Peter's like, is this it? Is this the kingdom? He's like, it's not for you to know. All right, you're going to receive power, but you guys still don't get it. But here, here's the big point of the passage, right? All these people excited, palm branches yelling, and they have no clue. And what this passage reminds us is this. You can be all around the work of God. You can be all, you can see Lazarus. And you can have all the emotion and the peace, that, that peace and the excitement where you're waving the branches and we're singing the songs and throwing our cloaks down. And you can have all the prophecies. You can see it right in front of you being unpacked and you can still miss it. And what, what, I, what I think is important for us to just kind of, as we prepare our hearts this week is this, are you involved in the palm branch, waving, singing, throwing your cloak down? But are, do you really know what's going on? Are you just a fan? Yay, this is awesome. I mean, I'm here because all my friends are here or I'm here because I need to make some business contacts or I'm kind of here because I want you to fix my spouse, God, or my, fix my kids or because I just want you to make life or my life good or because you know, I, it feels good about myself when I go to church. All these different reasons. You can be here cheering, waving your palm branch, and you can miss the Messiah, right? You can miss the Messiah. And I just, I just don't want that to be the case for us. I don't want us to be a bunch of palm branch waving, hands in the air people who miss what God is doing. Because in the end, Jesus is going to tell many people, I never knew you. I never knew who you were. Right? Yeah, you, you, were, you did all these religious things, but I never knew you. And so the first question the text forces us to ask really is this, is am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower? It's, it's, a, it's a simple question, but it's an eternal question. Because a lot of people are fans. Good job. But what a follower does is he sees the son of man and he says, I need a Messiah. I need a savior and I believe, Jesus, that you are the savior of the world, that you are my savior, that you are going to deal with my sin problem because that, that's something I cannot deal with. I cannot get to you. I cannot deal with my sin. I need a savior. That is what a follower does. And that is why Jesus is there. He is there to offer himself as a substitute for people to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. And so here's, here's my encouragement for you this week. Spend some time. Spend some time. Get alone. Just think about, think about what, it, what Christ has done. I mean, why did he come? Maybe write the list of what you were. I, I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer this morning as, as I was just kind of preparing. And he says, you know, Forgive us our trespasses. Maybe write a list out of some of your trespasses that come to mind. 
Not so you can dwell on them, but so you can remember these have been erased and then maybe rip it out and throw it in the garbage because that's what Christ has done. Spend some time prepping for Good Friday and Easter, thinking about that he is a savior. He's a savior. That's why he is there. And think about this. Who does he weep for? He weeps for the, the people cheering. He weeps for the fans, not for the followers. He weeps for those who are just excited right now, but five days later, there's nowhere to be found. In fact, there's only a couple, a few ladies and John, the apostle, standing at the cross. It's just prepare your heart and think about Christ as savior of the world. Because this text presents him as that way and everyone rejects him for whatever reason. And then real quickly, look what happens next because this is kind of the, 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 the crux of the passage. Verse 45, and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold saying, it is written, my house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. There's a lot going on here, but a but couple things. The temple in that day became big business. For one thing, there was people who were cutting across the temple courtyard to get to the market because it was kind of a shortcut, right? And so they just go, ah, we'll just cut through the church, cut through the temple, no big deal. And so Mark says that Jesus stopped that deal from going on. He's like, you go around. You don't come into here just to be a shortcut. This is not a place for a shortcut. Another thing that was going on is that all these people coming from hundreds and hundreds of miles away, it was much easier for them to bring money than to bring a goat. I mean, you don't want to have to walk a goat 300 miles, all right? You don't want to have to bring a cow or some pigeons that long. And so they would just bring some money so that they could buy their offering there. And, and that was fine. But what they would do is they'd go into the temple and then and they'd come up to the table and they want to buy the sheep. They're like, oh, we don't take your kind of money here. That's, you're, from, you're from Galilee. We don't take Galilean. You got to go over to the, to the money exchange and, and exchange money. So they go over and exchange money and then they get ripped off be a bad exchange rate. And then they go and they'd have to buy a goat, which would be way marked up. It's like a t-shirt at Tybee. It's like $83, right? Because that's what you do. You mark it up, right? Because they have no other option. They have to buy the goat. And, And this makes Jesus furious because the temple is supposed to be a place where people have access to God, a place where they can get their sins atoned for, a place where they can pray, And so he quotes Isaiah. And and again, who speaks like this? Look what he says. He says, my house. Who says the temple is his house but God? My house shall be a house of prayer. And and the the book of Isaiah actually adds for all people, for all nations. In fact, what you find out from the gospel of John is there is a bunch of Gentiles in Jerusalem worshiping at the Passover. Even though they couldn't hardly get into the temple, they could only go to the outer courts. They are there to worship the God of Israel. He says, that's the point. This place is supposed to be a place where people have access to me, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so he cleans it out. Who does that? Who goes to someone else's house? Maybe you do. Maybe you have OCD. I don't know. But you go over to someone's house and you start, I don't like those curtains. We're going to take those down. And that picture needs to go over there. Some of you mother-in-laws do that. You don't need to stop. All right. But, But who does that? the Lord because it's his house. It's his house. And the picture is this. 
And then what does he do next? It says he was teaching daily in the temple. You read the other gospel accounts. He shows up early every day and every day he sits in the temple and teaches. And the picture is this. These men had corrupted his house. He cleansed it. He purified it. And it's as if he's taking his seat now in his proper place as king of this house. And every day he teaches in this house, right? And they want to destroy him. They they want to destroy him because of it. But they couldn't because everyone's just hanging on his words. Why they didn't want to destroy him? Because they don't want a king. And he has come as king. He has come as Lord. And they don't want a king. So they want him out. You know who else doesn't want a king? We don't want a king. Especially Americans. There's something in your DNA. No king. Give me liberty or give me death. Right? That's, that's our, our deal. We, we are a nation who didn't want a king, so we rebelled. There's just something in us that no one tells me what to do. It's just part of that, that, that culture, but it's also part of who we are in Adam. And what we have done spiritually is what they have done physically. They've corrupted God's temple. They said, no, we don't want you to rule. What have we done? Our body is the temple. We have corrupted our temple, and we say, I want to be in charge. I don't want you to rule. And what Jesus wants to do is to come in to clear everything out, to purify, and then to sit on the throne and teach and lead. And that, that's what this text is presenting him doing. That's what the rest of the gospels, you go this week, read. Read some of the things he teaches about money, about eternity, about being ready, about who the Messiah is. All these things he teaches, right? Very practical stuff for us. But here, here's our second question that the text forces us to ask. I mean, this is a week where Jesus is presented as king, king of the temple, king of Israel, king of the universe. And the question for you to just kind of think about is leading up to Good Friday is this, is who is on the throne? Who is your king? Because here's the thing about, funny thing about kings, they don't like the whole co-king thing. It's not co-captains, you know, I'm a co-captain. No, no, no. There's no co-kings. There can only be one king. Can only be one. So, so again, get, get some time alone and seriously ask yourself, who's the king, really? I mean, I say, and I come to church, and I, and, I, and I want Jesus as king, but are there things, and if you're honest, there are, because you're fallen and you're broken and you're not, you're not, yet, you're not yet given your new body. And so the, all of us have that rebellious spirit. Where are the areas in your life where you're saying, no king? Where are the areas of your life where you're saying, okay, God, you can have, I'll do up to this point, but don't touch this, right? For some reason, meatloaf is coming to my head. I I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? First time I've ever quoted meatloaf in 10 years as your pastor. Uh, I won't have it again. But what, in your spiritual walk, I'll do anything but I won't do that. Don't touch that little hidden deal. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my boyfriend. Don't touch my, my, my little, like uh, this that no one knows about. Right? Is there an area that's off limits? Because that is why Jesus came to be a savior for that rebellion. And so just spend some time this week thinking about that, repenting from that. And, and, and asking him, Romans 12, 1 and 2, 
to be transformed, to put him back in the throne, right? A, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's, that's the cry of the believer. That's what a follower does. He says, Jesus, you're my king. And, and if necessary, that means taking up a cross, right? Taking up a cross and following. So just two questions to ask this week. Who's the king, Right? Who, who is the king and am I, am I a follower or a fan? Th- this is why Jesus came. And here's what I love about, about baptism, that these folks that are coming today, they're coming in obedience. They're coming to be a follower. They're coming saying, I am not ashamed of Jesus and so I am going to publicly identify with him and I'm gonna do the first thing he tells me to do when I become a Christian, get baptized. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we remember it. That they, it's hard, look, it's hard to get in front of 800 people. And, and go under the water. It's not an easy thing. It's, easy for, it's easier for a young person because they, you know, oh yeah, it's exciting. It's harder for a 48-year-old. It's harder for a 60-year-old because it's humbling. But that, that's why it's exciting. And that's why we cheer. And that's why we get excited. And so when we have the opportunity, we're gonna cheer and we're gonna get excited. And again, we're gonna sing in just a few moments. We're gonna, we're gonna worship Christ as King again. If you're getting baptized, you can leave at any time and go upstairs. If you want to go and see it live over there, we would encourage you at the end of the third song, you'll have plenty of time to just kind of go over there um, because I don't know if the singing will be over there, but, but we invite you to go over there live if your family as well, just to the old sanctuary. Uh, and for those of us, we'll stay here. It'll be right on the screen. It'll look like it's over there. Um, it's actually bigger in here, I think, than it is over there. So if you want the bigger version, you're going to stay here. Um, we do want the live version over there. Let me pray and let's just worship Christ as King. Let's just exalt him as the one who came, the cornerstone who was rejected, but the one who has become the chief stone. Father, I ask that as we just kind of sing and worship and reflect, as we say Hosanna and we long now for you to come back, I just pray for your church to be just seeking and preparing our hearts for this week. It is, it is our hope. If there's not... The cross, if there's not the resurrection, then we have nothing. Um, we are hopeless. If Christ is not alive, then we are the most to be pitied, but he is. And so, Lord, we, we worship you as our king. We celebrate you as risen and we experience forgiveness of sins because of what he has done. I thank you for those who are coming this morning to uh, publicly acknowledge that they believe in you, that they are following you, that they love you and that they have been forgiven of their sins. I just pray for them to be used by you for your glory. Uh, And we would just be excited about what you're doing. It's in Christ's name I pray.